Welcome to the Gospel Changes Everything podcast, where together we'll explore how Jesus transforms us every day. We have a wonderful guest. His name is Steve Brown, which many of you probably know the name and have heard his voice before. Steve is an author, speaker, pastor, seminary professor, nationally syndicated talk show host, founder and president of the Key Life Network. Now, Steve is passionate about teaching the gospel of grace and helping people understand that the Christian life is meant to be joyful and free. And you can find out more about Steve at keylife.org. That includes his website, his blog, all the shows that he does, resources that he has. So I highly encourage you to go over there and check out keylife.org. So without wasting any further time, please join me for the next few minutes as Steve talks to us about getting rid of our stiffness and understanding how God's law and God's grace fit together perfectly to help us grow in Christ. Steve, thanks for uh, talking with me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Yeah. One of the main questions I want to talk about today is uh, how do we come alongside someone and help them grow in their relationship with Christ? So just maybe some initial thoughts about what that means when if someone were to ask you, how do you help someone grow in Christ? Uh, what might you tell them? The first thing, there's some presuppositions that I believe are true and biblical. And, um, uh, for instance, you read Romans 7 and Paul's confession of not being able to do and be what he wanted to do and be, and his failure in that, and then his old wretched man uh, comment, who will deliver me from this body of death? What he was expressing there was not his past experience and testimony, it was a present reality to every Christian. And and so, Brian, I believe that every Christian has a desire, and it comes from the Holy Spirit, to be better than he or she is. And what we do uh, as teachers and leaders is that we say, well, you try harder. Right. Uh, uh, be uh, read the Bible more, and there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible, or pray more, or exercise, or use the means of God's grace. And those means of grace are gifts, and we're thankful for them because they're helpful. But the bottom line is, first, the presupposition that every believer wants to be better, and secondly, the understanding that getting better um, uh, has to do with Jesus and not us. And so I if uh, I wrote a book uh, that's been quite controversial called Three Free Sins. And the thing I said in that book is that our sin, if we know it, is a gift from God. Our righteousness, if we know that, is our most dangerous place. So as we allow ourselves to be forgiven and loved, something strange happens, and God doesn't even let us see it much, because he knows if he gives us an inch, we'll take a mile, but he gives us flashes of insight that we call surprising faithfulness. We find out that we're loving people more, that we care more, that we're more obedient, we're saying no more to temptation than we did before. But bottom line, the thing that has 
to be taught and constantly reinforced is that our sin isn't the issue, it's our stiffness. If we, uh, if we really believe when Jesus said it's finished, it was finished, if we really believe in the doctrine of imputation, our sin is no longer the issue, but our stiffness is. And so God uses our sin, he uses our failure, he uses our neediness to bring him to himself. Now, there's another element that's a part of it, and that's the difference between being antinomian mm -hmm. and not being antinomian. Mm -hmm. And that is the teaching with all of its purity and its power, the law of God. We must never compromise that. We must never lie about it, that we live up to it, or that we've got it together because God will whack us upside the head when that happens. But the constant teaching of God's law is so important. And it's, those are not suggestions. They reflect the mind of the God of the universe. But if you teach the law without the full understanding of God's grace, uh, people don't get better. They get condemned and worse. But if you teach, if you say, in effect, all right, that's what God demands. You've screwed it up. What should you do about it? Mm -hmm. Run to Jesus and let him love you. Right. And that sounds so simplistic and uh, and so silly and so counterintuitive. But in fact, along with the teaching of God's law, God's people, that's the only way I know to holiness okay. and, and to sanctification. And it works. I'm an old guy. I've been doing this before you were ever born. <laughs> and and I and I've tried all the other. You Brian, you never met a man who wants to please God more than I do. Mm. Never. And you probably have never met somebody who struggles with it more. But and and uh, and I'm better. I, in some ways, I'm not any better. But in some ways. I'm better, but that's not the issue. The issue is Jesus and his love and his grace. And as long as I rest in that, as long as I rejoice in that, as long as I constantly allow the law to convict me and guide me and run back to Jesus, I start getting better. Now, let me give you a principle. Okay. And it's, and it's really an important principle. The only people who get any better are people who know that if they never get any better, that God will still love them. Mm. The only people who get better, and better is defined by the law, the only people who get better are people who know if they don't get better, God will still love them. Right. And, and as an old, cynical preacher, I've been there, I've done that, and what I just told you is true. Mm. Okay, so let's go back just a second about how our sin is not the issue, it's our stiffness. So yeah. maybe you could expand a little bit on what, what does that stiffness look like? Is it disobedience? Is it our just pushing back on God? What does that look like? Well, it's all of that. Okay. Stiffness shows itself in so many ways yeah. to the Pharisee. It shows itself in self-righteousness and condemnation of others. 
You also talked about surprising faithfulness. One of the phrases I use is that when when we become new Christians, that God gives us new desires. So yes. that, yes. in my mind, are in, inexplainable apart from the Holy Spirit working in my life. So when I became a Christian in high school, um, I suddenly had a desire to actually want to go to church, to want to read my Bible. Uh-huh. Uh, right. Now, I, I had you know a young life leader that came alongside me and, and helped to show me how to do those things. But I did have these new desires sort of on my own that I just didn't have before. And and I think that's what you're talking yes. about, too, is these surprising faithfulness. Oh, absolutely. But let me tell you something, Brian, you have yeah. to be careful about. Yeah. Like all truths, um, Satan will take 99% of the truth to float one lie. Mm. And, and you have to watch it. For instance, if you... If you use the discipline passage of Hebrews 12, that's a, such a wonderful passage. But it's been used by the Pharisees and the manipulators to make God into a child abuser mm. and to take grace away. What we do is we say, well, of course you're forgiven, but you get out of line, God's going to give you cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's not what that text is saying at all. So you have to be careful, and you have to be careful with the new desires. Yes, absolutely God gives us new desires. I mean, there's stuff in me that before I was a Christian I didn't give a rip about, and I care about now. However, 
if you start delineating those desires too much and beating people over the head with them, mm-hmm. like if you really love Jesus, these are the desires you would have. Oh, right, right. Uh, you have to be careful that you don't take the grace away that mm-hmm. you've just given them, or they won't get any better. Mm-hmm. And so you got to, and it's a hard line to walk. Yeah. It really is hard. I, You know, I've been a pastor for 30 years. Uh, you know, if you can be a pastor for 30 years, you don't need grace to go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, the angels say, you poor dear, you come on in. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and the hardest thing to do is to not take the grace away that God has given in my teaching on new desires, even Luther's comment, you know, you can do what you want, but what do you want? Mm-hmm. Or the discipline passages. And so what you do is that you constantly teach the law. This is what God says. This is a holy God. Remember that without... And remember that the other side of his holiness is his mercy. And you could always run to him and always get hugged. Mm. And so you, so you have to be careful. Yeah. But you have to teach what you just said, too. Right. Right. So I guess that's, uh, that's what I, I want to be able to, to do as, as well as, as possible is instruction— because there is instruction of the law, there's instruction of of Christian living, let's say. Absolutely. However, I want to make sure that they understand that they're not going to be perfect, that they have to run to the cross all day, every day. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I think, too, that I'm learning a deeper understanding of, of, of how we understand the means of, of grace and the, the, the scriptures being one that... Unless we read the scriptures to see God's grace, we may not see it. You know, like we see it in the scriptures. So it takes that sort of that discipline or, yeah, the discipline of reading the scriptures to actually see the grace. Oh, yeah. And to see the law. Yeah. You know, we've got to be people of the word, but that almost goes without saying. that's what the church should be about. That's what we do. And every time some, you know, that's one of the things we do, Brian, in the church that is just so bad is how we do discipline. Mm. Uh, we do discipline in a way that affirms self-righteousness. And we have to be so careful about it. Right. I mean, uh, it is so dangerous uh, how we do those kinds of things. But, you know, you know all that. And the place where Satan would desire to have us more than any other place is not in our sin that's taken care of. Mm -hmm. It's in this very area that we take the gospel and make it into something that it's not. And it's so easy to do. That's what when Luther says we got to preach the gospel or we'll get discouraged to each other. That's what he means. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's something in our DNA. I absolutely am drawn to self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. I am so proud when I do something good that God won't even let me see it when I do anymore, hardly. Right. He does it so I don't get discouraged. But I, it's in my DNA, and I just have to, 
I have to have, I have to talk to guys like you, and you have to talk to guys like me. Mm-hmm. So we remind each other over and over again because it's our message. It's what changes the world. If we're going to have a revival, this is what will do it. Right. It won't be. It won't be anything but this. It's like our accountability groups tend to be quick to rebuke and and very slow to give grace. So true. You know, and, I, I don't even like the, I don't even like the words accountability group. Right. I mean, I understand their necessity, and I you know I get all that, but. I think you're very, it's true. You know, I have, I have students who, who have accountability group and they have a list of 10 questions they ask each other every time they get together. And, and what happens is, and they always find, and I tell them it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, they're going to lie to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and all they're doing, I mean, man, if I was going to send, the last people in the world I'd tell is my accountability group. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and so you find all the time accountability groups get attacks of sanity when they find out they've been lying to each other. Right, right. <laughs> so there has to be an atmosphere in an accountability group of what you just said. Mm-hmm. What you just said was profound. And, uh, and unless we create the grace, then we can't really be accountable to each other because it's not a soft place mm-hmm. or a safe place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I, and I think that the church, or, you know, a, a local church in general needs to, to be that way too. Is um, I agree. Yeah. And, and you know something, I think you were telling me about your church and what was happening, and that was so cool. I think we're sitting on top of an awakening. Yeah. I really do. What you experienced at Liberate, there was a time when I thought, you know, there are two or three of us and that's it. And whenever you think that, it's probably not from God, so it's kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, but God is, this is the place where God's speaking to his church mm-hmm. in some amazing ways. And I think we're going to see an awakening that will make the great awakening that'll be on the equivalent of a great awakening. Yeah, it's exciting to watch. Hey, listen. It really is. Here's another thought I've been having lately and would love to get your input on it. Kind of and it goes along with what we've been talking about. So, the word disappointment is something that I'm trying to rid of my vocabulary. So, I'm trying to get rid of the word disappointment in my vocabulary, and here's why. And I kind of want to find out if if you think I'm on the right track or not. Is that if someone has ever said to you, I'm disappointed in you, that hurts deeply. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that hurts deeply. And we, we probably have said it to our children. I, I know, I'm sure, I've got three kids. I'm sure at some point I've said that to them. And what I've started to think about lately is, can God be disappointed in a believer, in a true Christian? So, and I, what I started to think was, well, no. Because if God can't be disappointed in a believer because we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so if he's disappointed in me, then he's actually disappointed in his son. Therefore, he can't be disappointed in me. Not to mention that disappointment also includes the fact that 
someone does something that you thought they were going to do and then they didn't do it, whereas we can't surprise God with the things that we do or don't do. He already knows them. So how can he be disappointed, right? So I'm, what, I'm trying to, my, my, what I'm trying to go back and do is say, okay, if God can't be disappointed in me, and that's part of what the gospel says, then when I apply yeah. the gospel to my relationships with my wife, my kids, my friends, whoever, then I shouldn't be disappointed in them. Is that is that going down the right road, or or am I off at some point? Oh no, you're right. I love it. I, I've never, that's a new thought to me. I just love it. I think you know, as John Calvin said to the Emperor of Japan, lots of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, in the give and take of living, you know, there's there you you, you know, there's going to be disappointment, right? Because we're so human, but I I love that. I'm going to steal it. I'll give you credit the first time. <laughs> so After I, that, it's mine. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's that's wonderful, and and it's kind of the key, isn't it, to uh, to being the body of Christ? Right. I mean, here's the thing: if I expect everyone around me to be perfect, to act perfectly, to fulfill their responsibilities perfectly then of course I'm going to be disappointed because no one's perfect. They're not going to live it out. But if I kind of, I kind of expect people to fail at this point. I mean, I've been in ministry long enough. I've been, you know, I'm, I'm still yeah. only 47, yeah. but I expect people to fall short. I expect people to uh, make mistakes. And, and so what I'm trying to do is say, well, God's given me grace. I'm going to give them grace. That's what, that's, that, in my mind, would be the application of the gospel. To say, look, hey, it's okay. We all make mistakes, you know. Let's learn from them and move on. But you know, let's not uh, beat each other up over the fact that you missed a meeting or that you uh, came in late from your, uh, you know, curfew, yeah. right? Yeah. With our kids, you know, that's one of the things. So there's there still might be discipline involved, but to say I'm disappointed in the way you acted, well, I kind of, at this point, I kind of expect people to act poorly. And yeah, so yeah. I'm just trying to take well, the word out. I so. agree. I, I love it. I'm, that's profound. It, it's something I'm going to think about the rest of the day. Okay, great, great. It's good. It's a key to how we relate to one another. Man, if we get that, our churches would be places of great joy and yeah. love. You can't do that unless that's been done unto you by God. Yeah. I mean, it, that's where you get the gasoline. Yeah. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. Well, good. Okay. Well, Steve, uh, I know you're you're busy, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. Fine. If we live closer, I'd join your church. Oh, I'd like awesome. to have you Thank as you. my pastor, man. Thank you. Well, thanks again, uh, Steve. I hope to meet you. Uh, next year at Liberate, we're planning to make that. That'd be great, man. Let's staff. make sure we get a chance to meet there. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you before then. So Great. All right. God thanks. bless you, brother. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.